0: Hi, I'm Nikhil Raoul and you're listening to Working with Gen Z, a show where I have conversations with local and global experts who will help us understand the hope and aspirations of the Gen Z generation. The Gen Z generation is the demographic cohort succeeding the millennials. This show is going to examine all facets of the Gen Z life and the critical factors for winning their hearts and minds. We'll go deep to uncover what motivates them and their mindsets, plus expectations from an employer, brands, their views on money, entrepreneurship, value, learning, and much, much more. Friends, we've often said in this uh, show that our context drives our behaviors. And when we look at multi-generation, we've said that what is it, the context in which they were operating, and what's the behavior that they bring at work, right? So if you think about Someone in the baby boomer generation, and we see that there's a sense of loyalty at the workplace. Likewise, if you think about uh, Generation X, there's also uh, the view that perhaps they're seeking work-life balance. Similarly, for the Millennium Generation, they're the generation which was the first generation, which was very tech savvy and feel very dependent on technology. And so the context is extremely important for us because it drives the values and the behaviors that shape us. Uh, and when we think about Gen Z, is this something that we have. Um, talked in the past, that their context fundamentally has been fundamentally very, very different, right? When we look at the events that have shaped how they've grown, you think about things like the 9-11, 26-11, fake news, the meter movement, that's the generation which is born into the internet. And the corollary to that is that when you think about the context, what impact has had, they've also seen a full-fledged pandemic and now also a war. And so the corollary to that is, of course, we've seen a lot of uh, news that happening in the corporate world, people talking about mental health, well-being, physical health, being, and perhaps a case could be made to say that, okay, does that have an impact on our emotions? What does it do to our emotional health? And so what we're going to try and do today in our episode is to explore this whole concept of how do we maintain? Can we actually understand how our emotions work? And putting aside not just the context, is that something that would be good for leaders, whether you're a young leader, an experienced leader, or someone as a middle manager? And to help us with that is my guest, Dr. Nilfar Raghad. Nilfar, welcome to the show. Thank you,
1: Nikhil.
0: Happy to be here. Excellent. And so, friends, as we've always done with each of our episodes, I'm going to quickly take a moment to introduce um, my guest, Dr. Nil is based in Pune, India. She comes with more than 25 years of experience both in education and corporate training. She has a postgraduate in instructional design and a PhD in sociology. She's a very experienced facilitator, works with several senior leaders, designing management development programs, training the trainer in the areas of team building, communication skills, uh, influencing skills, and of course, emotional intelligence programs. For well, the past 15 years, Nilford has worked as a facilitator and conducted more than 750 programs as a facilitator that accounts to close to 9,000 plus hours and almost 650 hours of coaching. And her specialty and uh, area is also EI assessor. And as a practitioner, she's adept at interpreting assessment results and coaching. Uh, one, some of the names that Nilford has actually um, delivered for are clients like Atlas Copco, Pilot Industry, CGI, Accenture, TBS, um, Honeywell, ICSA, Prudential, BMC Software, Tata BP, um, uh, Solar, Vodafone, and even in her coaching practice, clients like Goodyear, uh, Ratna Lifestyle, and so on. It's a very long list. One other thing that I want to mention is that Nilofer was also been awarded the NCART Award for Innovative Teaching Techniques. She's co-authored a book called The Creative Teacher's Manual, which was published in the year 2012. In the spare time, Niloufar is a hoodie and loves to travel. Niloufar, once again, it's a pleasure and great to have you. Thank you for taking the time.
1: Thank you so much, Nikhil.
0: Lovely. So Nilfer, I have, of course, read and perhaps not done justice to the full bio that I could read for you. But is there anything that you want to add as, as a way to your background in the rich history that you have for our viewers?
1: So, just one thing, you know, all my certifications. So, I've apart from being an EQ assessor, also, I'm also certified in MBTI, certified in Strength Scope, and also certified in OPQ. Things like that I find help me understanding human beings much better. Uh, and that is, that is just one thing that I wanted to do.
0: Excellent. So, so well, I'm so happy you mentioned because that's the focus of our talk today. So, let's get right to it. Uh, is to understand the human behavior and the emotions that drive us. So, uh, Milford, you know, a lot has been written about emotional intelligence. It's a buzzword. Everyone is talking about it. It's been there for quite some time. You hear this is the most common parlance in the corporate world today and, and even in, in our personal lives. And, and, and even young children are talking about it, right? So uh, there is enough out there, but, uh, since you do a lot of work in the area, help us to demystify first as a way to kickstart our conversation. What is EI in simple terms? And second, uh, you know, why is there so much you know, talk or traction about or a focus about EI both in the professional context and also in the work context? And the third part of the question, of course, is that what does all that mean for our young Gen Z, right? This is the generation which is just entering into the workforce. So first, help us to understand EI, why such so much attention in the corporate world? And third, of course, what does it mean for the Gen Z?
1: Right, right. So we'll take one question at a time. So uh, in very, very simple terms, without getting any uh, into any technical jargon, EI is nothing but understanding the world, the inner world that we all have. So there is an outer world and there is an inner world. So, we we know a lot about what's happening outside. Very often, we don't know what's happening inside us. So, the awareness of what's happening to me with the various triggers that keep coming to me, you know, day in and day out, every moment of my existence. And what do I do about those things? The second part is, what are others feeling? And what do I do about that? So, you know, it's a very beautiful combination of, uh, you know, self and others. So when you put this together, that is is what EI is all about. So they have this, you know, very nice model, which was uh, popularized by Daniel Goldman. And uh, so maybe this is a good time we can share it with our audiences. And uh, so what the model, again, in a very nice, It helps us to understand that there is the self and there is the others. So in the self aspect, you know, how aware are we of, uh, you know, our own moods, our own emotions, uh, what our triggers are and how do they sort of play out when I am interacting with others. The other is, you know, many times people are very self-aware. At the same time, they don't know how really to, regulate their responses. And many, many times we find that very, very intelligent people also do uh, several unintelligent ac- actions, which later on, uh, you know, lead up to a sort of a messy situation. And that is something that people do not pay attention to. So being self-aware as well as how to redirect those, uh, you know, disruptive impulses, or how to sort out sometimes you need to tone down how the uh, the uh, responses are going to be so that is something that um, people fail to understand so that is the self part the other angle is the uh, social awareness which is you know uh, when i'm talking to somebody when i'm interacting with somebody uh, do i really understand their emotional makeup and how you know i should approach uh, the situation, keeping the personality in mind. So that is the social awareness and that is where the piece on empathy fits. And then, of course, uh, you know, to be able to actually have a conversation, uh, there are certain social skills. So it could be, you know, conflict management thing. It could be there are certain skills where you need to influence. There are certain skills where you need to be assertive. And the whole gamut of interpersonal skills sort of fits into this. So, if we just look at the entire model, it's it's a very nicely put together uh, quadrants are there where we look into our internal world and we also see what's happening with others and what we can work. With. Excellent. So that was very helpful. Um...
0: And just as a simple way to understand, you know, how it impacts us and how do we manage it, how it impacts others and how do we use that to better our relationships. Now to the question of, you know, why uh, it matters in the corporate world and of course also for our Gen Zs.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so like I said, uh, you know, being a com- combination of self-mastery and interpersonal skills coming together. So, what happens is, why why is it important, like, you know, I said earlier that sometimes uh, people act impulsively, right? And it's as if people are functioning on autopilot mode. So uh, when they get triggered, they act in in you know, the most natural way that they know of. And uh, many, many times they don't think of consequences. So, uh, very often I, I hear, you know, the younger generation saying that, oh, you know, I, I didn't agree with my boss on something and, I, and so I just put in my papers, you know. So, uh, sometimes that is what uh, can come in the way. Uh, just, just wanted to quote one more example. Uh, I was actually doing a session for a, a, a young group of people and, uh, you know, just people who had entered the workforce. And uh, so, uh, what had happened was that the first wave, the pandemic wave, had hit, and uh, there was this young girl who was sitting in my session, and she was also she had been appointed as a coordinator. So there were several phone calls that she was receiving that now my family members got me word so now should you know should the should I come to work or you know things of that nature because there was so so much of uncertainty at that time. Now to begin with, I mean. I would have expected that the person steps out and receives those calls. She continued sitting over there. And, you know, so different people tried to tell her, you know, not to disturb the session. But, you know, that that self-awareness somewhere that she's disrupting a session was also not there. I think I, I would also like to give it to her that maybe she was so interested that she wanted to continue sitting there. At five around, we were sort of winding down the session. And suddenly she stood up, and you know she had a message in her cell phone to say that the government has implemented Section 144, which which entails that not more than five people can come together in a in a place. And that sort of overtook her so uh, so overwhelmingly that you know she just stood up and she made this big announcement, and you know everyone else sort of you know helped her to say that, okay, we can see that, you know, we're sort of winding down. So, you know, let's, let's just wait for another 15 minutes and we'll all be out of it. So, so these sort of uh, behaviors is what I'm referring to when I'm uh, talking about the impulsive uh, acts, you know, and without really Considering or without really filtering as to okay, you know, if if I just sort of stand up and in the middle of a session, what could be the repercussions or if I just hand in my papers just because in the heat of the moment, what could be the repercussions? So that is one very, very big reason why it is now taking so much of prominence in personal and corporate uh, areas as well. So this is point number one. The second point is that. Uh, very often, there is a, you know, lack of connecting with people. And because the Gen Zs are so much on their devices, and, you know, they interact with people often their device rather than face to face. So very, very often, what happens is that when they actually do come face to face, sometimes, you know, the, there could be some sort of a lack of sensitivity to how others could be feeling. Uh, sometimes I've, I've seen, uh, you know, them just sort of passing certain comments which they think is, is a joke, but it may not be taken too well by the other person. Right? So, and, and the social skills of how really to influence somebody, how really to negotiate a situation that is not going their way, so that is another reason why now corporates are really looking at how do we get people to uh, learn those skills and you know come together so that they can work together. And that leads me to the third point, which is you know learning to work as a team. There, so I think the younger generation, the Gen Zs, are really great at uh, working on their own. They're they're very quick on the uptake. They're smart. At the same time, to come together, work with different personality types and uh, work through differences of opinion is something that uh, it, it seems to be an ongoing issue that corporates face. And that is the reason why uh, corporates are now giving so much of importance to, um, to the education of emotional intelligence. And all these things, I think, play a big role in personal lives as well. I mean, uh, impulsive acts or, you know, even in a family situation, you need to get along with your family members and have those conversations rather than just your device. So the, for these reasons, I think it's important.
0: Excellent. No, very good point, Niloufar. I think, um, uh, look, um, we, we know that, you know, companies today rely on, on talent and the war of talent, as they say, you know, talent has won. Uh, and if if you're in a client-facing role and anyone are not in a client-facing role, right, you cannot get anything done uh, without working in teams and working with colleagues. And mm-hmm. more and more you're seeing, whether you're based here or based in another part of the world, you're also going to deal with colleagues from, you know, other parts of the world. So at some point, uh, you have to demonstrate what, what comes out also shows uh, and and how you how you respond, as you said, uh, becomes a way in which the team comes together and how the team members collaborate and so on. So, good point. Uh, it kind of sets the tone about you know understanding why Gen Zs need to perhaps you know appreciate all of this much earlier in their career. We certainly talk about this at our senior uh, senior colleagues. Now, uh for the big question, uh, uh, and of course, you've explained the four quadrants very beautifully. So, rather than going through each of them. One by one, Uh, talk us through. uh, You know what are the ways in which we can build this EI muscle. I'm going to call just that rather than strategies, right? And generally, what can come in our way? Uh, uh, Just help us through that. Whether you're talking about young Gen Zs or even an experienced leader, right? Uh, You you do a lot of work, right? What? How do we build and become better at it? And you know what can come in our way?
1: yeah yeah so so uh you know coming to the gen Z, we can address that and then go more general so uh you know that i want everything today <laughs> it is it's something you know wanting those quick results and uh having that impatience to sort of get that is what uh is you know coming in the way so it's basically you know a process with where a mind shift change needs to happen where certain skill sets need to be sort of brought in and all that can come only through practice because otherwise all of us are sort of wired in a particular way, our upbringing has been of a particular way and we are conditioned to sort of maybe even get those quick results as we were growing up. And so what happens is that, uh, you know, that seems to continue and that impatience at all points of time uh, can come in the way. So to build a muscle, just like when we go to the gym, and you know you have to work at making or uh, building your abs or your muscles. Uh, it it is a time uh, consuming process. But at the same time, the more you know, to the extent you sort of build it, you begin to understand uh, why you are reacting in certain ways, why others are reacting in certain ways, and it you know the entire process becomes very, very satisfying. So what comes in the way is the lack of practice. Uh, So, you know, what happens very often is that uh, just just to give an example of uh, there was this young manager and since I was talking about the rewiring part, you know, often the wiring starts from childhood. So there was this young manager who uh, he was very, very smart, very brilliant, and climbed up the corporate ladder very fast. He was in the banking uh, sector. And, uh, so while he was an individual contributor, what happened was that, uh, he was able to, you know, deliver results and he worked hard and he was almost a, you know, uh, workaholic in one sense and, uh, sort of as if trying to prove something. And, uh, so it so happened that, uh, At the point of time, uh, he was sent by his senior manager to me for coaching, for emotional intelligence. And uh, the the manager's ask was that this person doesn't know really how to work with the team or to, you know, validate efforts that the team is putting and stuff like that. So, you know, that coaching should be given to him. And so, uh, in our first interaction, I started asking him about, you know, who his role models are, what his achievements are. And so, he had achieved a lot. And, you know, there was a very interesting story that he started telling. The story was, and I'll keep it cheap. So, the story was that, you know, they belonged to uh, uh, parents who were from the scientific background. And, uh, you know, so their friends, uh, who came over and parents friends who came over were, you know, scientists. Parents wrote in uh, science journals. So, you know, they were like constantly surrounded by science. Now, um, this, uh, you know, there were two brothers, this this uh, boy and his younger brother. And uh, so he was the elder one and, uh, you know, as he grew up, you know, parents used to speak that, uh, okay, so our boys are also going to sort of follow that same uh, sort of trajectory. And it so happened that this boy, as he sort of came to the tent, a brilliant person, got, you know, flying uh, percentages, something like 98% and all, and parents were very happy. At the same time, this boy started realizing that he was not really interested in uh, science. And now came sort of the, you know, pressure of how do I tell this to my parents? And, uh, you know, so... Because he looked for an opportunity, and one day approached his mother, and um, mother, you know, said, "Okay, let me speak to your father and stuff like that." And they finally sort of came to a conclusion that it's okay. He wants to pursue commerce; it's okay. Let him Now the thing is that as he had to, you know, as he started pursuing that, you know, understanding balance sheets and those aspects were quite difficult for him, and uh, so uh, he had to go for extra coaching sessions, you know, in, in his college days. Now, there was one sort of a belief that played a very important role in the family and, you know, it was often spoken about that people who go for coaching are a little, you know, less sort of uh, capable. And as it is, this boy was, you know, sort of struggling to prove to his parents that, you know, he, he was a good son and that he would want to you know, do anything to get that validation from them. And so, you know, uh, first of all, there was this pressure that now he had to go for the coaching. And so anyway, he did that, but he excelled, he did very well. And, you know, he passed out, he, he, he ran marathons, he did a whole lot of things just to sort of prove to himself and to others, especially the family members, you know, how uh, how capable he was. Now that he joined the corporate sector, again, you know, he he worked very hard, climbed up the ranks. So all this was fine till he was, you know, doing the work at an individual level. Then he came to a position where he was given two, three team members. And he had, you know, sort of got into this groove of that, you know, perfectionism where he, nothing, you know, no sort of error was tolerable. And, and so, that is when, even if there were a few errors say in a report that came to him, he actually used to, you know, fling the papers uh, on their faces or actually tear the papers and dump them in the dustbin in front of those people. And that is when, you know, uh, the manager said, no, this is not. And people, his team members started saying that, you know, put us in any other team, we don't want to work with the person. Like right? Wow. <laughs> So that being the situation, you know, he was sent for coaching. And then, of course, you know, so once, you know, as a coach, I started understanding that piece of wiring, you know, what was really fueling that behavior. Then we sort of, you know, so uh, helped him to become a little more aware of, first of all, that wiring. That Okay, this is what's happening to me. What are my triggers? Why do I get, you know, so upset? Uh, and then why is it that I'm not able to communicate with people in in a sort of a respectful manner, in an empathetic manner? So, you know, again, if you look at you know the four quadrants, to be aware, to regulate how you, you know, speak with people using your skills of influence, assertiveness, things like that. So those are elements that really help him to uh sort of, you know, um, regulate or moderate uh, his uh, you know expressions and uh, sort of his manager said that he was sort of showing signs where he was getting much better at dealing with his team members. So coming back to this whole question of you know what's coming in the way unless these elements are practiced unless you know, there are certain tools and exercises where we help people to become aware, to log their, uh, you know, triggers, to log their behavior patterns, to arrive at, you know, understanding that what are my behavior patterns? And, you know, so that is, you know, the first step. And then, of course, what are the skills that are required to um, to overcome those disruptive behavior patterns? So that is something that requires a lot of patience, and many times, uh, you know, uh, people don't have that patience because that, you know, that wanting those quick fixes and wanting quick solutions to whatever is happening.
0: Yeah, excellent. No, what a great story. I think just to because I'm sure this is this is not an exception. I'm may maybe happening more often, perhaps where we see, uh, you know, the young Gen Zs. Losing their cool, uh, but you know, I think the uh, the learning from that story, of course, was to appreciate and be self aware. What what is triggering the narrative that we all kind of carry with ourselves, right? And and uh, you know, how do we become aware of that? It's not to say that every narrative is a wrong one and needs to be changed, but in, in that case, we heard how he was thinking, the childhood experiences, and and of course that translated from school to work and so on. Now, one follow up question on um, there, Nilfar, which often comes um the topic of EI, is that you know it's one thing to become self-aware. And let's uh, let's say that someone someone is a little more self-aware, right? Or uh, they're much more watchful, they're working towards you know regulating their emotions and 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 even in the social settings. Um uh, but 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 perhaps there could be a a, a scenario and and a And I'm asking this just because, like, in in the corporate world, uh, there are corporations where, you know, maybe, you know, you only get things done when you get into a ring or a shouting match or something, right? So, in in other words, uh, I am aware that it doesn't make sense for me to be angry or uh, lose my cool or anything like that, right? However, the environment in which I operate only gets to you know, get things done if I get into a shouting match, right? So the case could be that are you then suppressing your emotion, right? And how do you, how do you kind of, uh, you know, uh, deal with those kind of situations where you know that it's probably not prudent for me to raise my voice, but, uh, that's just the way things get done. So if I'm a manager and if I go from an environment, which is very cordial, very collaborative uh, versus Perhaps an environment, you know, where uh, you know it's more execution focused, more profit driven, and you know it doesn't matter what you do, but get it done. Kind of a, a situation. So curious to know, uh, what do you do there?
1: Yeah. So I think. See, uh, first of all, I I consider it as a myth that only you know work gets done only when you shop. So execution focus is fantastic. In fact. That's why everyone is there together in that workspace so that, you know, we can achieve the goals. At the same time, is it really necessary to shout? Now, the thing is that, uh, you know, there are there are many, many, in, in, in corporates also I have, you know, heard as I interact with participants, I've heard that there are some leaders who, you know, show so much of maturity that, uh, you know, they are able to get work done without shouting now the, the whole thing is that again first of all if we are you know going back to that model if we are aware that okay there is some behavior pattern of the other person that is sort of annoying me maybe the person is uh, not taking ownership maybe that person is coming across as very casual uh, maybe they promised to submit some document by, by a particular timeline but it, it did not come through. So whatever the situation may be uh, when, if, if that is something that's triggering me as a leader, first of all, I need to understand that, okay, this is a trigger. All right. And so I, I sort of dive into my deeper world and acknowledge for myself that I am getting triggered and, and that temptation to sort of raise my voice or whatever is happening. Now, the whole thing is, you know, when we talk about self regulation, there is something called as consequential thinking. So, what is this? Consequential thinking just means that if I can pause for a minute and I can think of, okay, so if I shout, is it really going to make an impact? You know, many times it might backfire and say that, you know, the other person might say, okay, go fire, (laughs) kind. You know, it may really not uh, make the impact that I want. You know, if I want people to be accountable, if I want them to be uh, more focused, you know um, just by shouting i don't think you know that that impact would be created at the same time if i sort of calm myself and if i you know if i use my uh, you know interpersonal skills and i assertively have a conversation with that person so shouting is only that i feel shouting is only one way of venting actually. But if you can have a you know, serious man-to-man conversation, woman-to-woman conversation, and let people also know what could be the impact of the behavior that they are displaying and how that would affect the goals that they are trying to achieve. I think if that sort of a connection can be shown to people, uh, people are You know, sensible, they actually understand. And uh, I feel that would be a better way to deal with a situation of that kind rather than just shouting. And there are many, many leaders that I've heard of in different companies where they actually role model this that work can be done without shouting. So, yeah, very good
0: point. You're absolutely correct. There are stories where. You know, there may be a, a certain org culture that exists, um, but the leader himself has created the culture, his culture, the team culture that he operates in, right? And, and I think that's what you perhaps exercise this even more rather than saying that, you know, the, the greater culture, you know, works this way, but, you know, I'm responsible for the culture that I am building, right? Correct. Right. Yeah.
1: So, no, and many times what happens is that actually, you know, these people uh, who start shouting may get results in the short term, you know, so, but that is, a, it has a limited shelf life, right? After some time, people become so used to shouting that the shouting also ceases to have any impact. Yeah, very
0: good point. Yeah. Uh, so, then for let's talk briefly about a couple more points. One is uh, briefly. Uh, you know, of course, you mentioned we t- we're talking about the importance and how can we uh, continue to build this. Are there some specific tools? And I know that there may be many things out there very briefly, like without going into any specific tool per se, like what do companies do to measure that over a period of time? Uh, that is one just to see that, you know, has, has someone's EI improved? Uh, uh that's one. Second, is there some, duration perhaps, I don't know, uh, can we call it like an average duration that in your experience with all this coaching that that say that, you know, generally you, what you have seen is that there is a minimum amount of X number of months or weeks that, that has to go for someone to become aware, to become better, right? So two questions, um, what do companies do and and what's been your experience, you know, how, how long or how short uh, can that be?
1: Yeah, so I think the first thing that companies are doing is to organize a lot more of the training sessions so that people are exposed to the uh, concept of emotional intelligence and also the tools and techniques that are involved in it. Uh, and uh, for uh, you know those who are really uh, very serious about it, there are psychometric assessment tools which uh, can uh, indicate to a person what their level of emotional intelligence is. Uh, on the different parameters, right? Uh, if we look at the model again, the different parameters uh, are measured. So there is a pre measurement, and then of course, uh, after uh, you know they have the participants who have been exposed to it, they practice enough uh, after uh, a period of time. We can take a post uh, measurement, uh, and it shows where the needles are moving. Uh, at the same time, just having a like a two day workshop you know would would give a good exposure and sort of sensitize participants uh, to sort of add to the efficacy what, what we do is also coaching so you know give concerted sort of um, and customized interaction with with every individual so that uh, they talk about what really is uh, you know triggering them and you know how how we can help them to Uh, regulate their responses or bring in certain more social skills or bring in the empathy aspect, things like that. So when we do that, we can see that actually um, over a period of six to eight months at least, we require that much time because like I said, we've lived our lives in a particular way, right? And that wiring has sort of uh, become our modality of behavior. Uh, So that rewiring process would take time and you know yeah, with the touch points or every time we meet up with the coaching the uh, you know person refreshes the uh the tools also as well as their they relook at their behavior from from a more objective uh perspective and that is one really is
0: okay excellent yep uh so very good to know uh the tools as as long as generally you know as well as just the time frame now the big question again, there comes Nilapur is that, you know, uh, you could have undergone a session or a few sessions and, and you come out on the other end becoming much more aware and, and, uh, you're, you're getting good feedback from your team. Your customers are happy. Uh, but how does one sustain, um, uh, this EI yeah, muscle, if you will, right? In other words, you know, we've all heard stories that, you know, here was a guy who was so calm and, you know, I mean, look at him now, you know, his, what has gotten into him or someone who was, who was, you know, very angry all the time. And, you know, we see his mature, right? So, uh, uh, the sustaining is more not just from a cultural aspect, but for leaders. In other words, should they be undergoing something like cool uh, periodically? Or do you know of stories where, you know, uh, leaders do just kind of go up down, uh, uh, you know, uh, maybe uh, as peaks and valleys uh, as as their career progresses, or does the curve generally tend to go in one direction? What 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 have you seen?
1: No, I think uh, I think you know the nature of human existence is to have the peaks and valleys, and that is what makes life interesting as well. So, and the same thing would happen, uh, you know, in a corporate setting as well. That. There would be peaks and valleys. And like you said, yes, uh, I have heard of instances where maybe there was a person, you know, high pot, high potential, uh, who was, you know, performing extremely well in a particular geography, for example. And then, uh, you know, so they get transferred to a different location. And for some reason, they, they stop. So there are certain elements that would sort of affect a person while, you know, they are. In, in the journey and uh, they would have to continuously monitor you know so okay so now I've been placed somewhere else what's happening inside in, in my world what are things that are actually affecting me why are they affecting? and uh, okay so if, if they are affecting me what do I want to do about it so these are some helpful questions so if you know to like you said to bring in that sustainance. so there are two elements one is where the individual themselves can sustain those practices like for example there is there is a very nice app uh, where uh there's a free app available on play store which i you know share with uh, whichever groups i go with uh it's it's called a mindfulness bell so and and uh, you know gen z is like that because they are very apt Uh, savvy people and uh, so uh, and the beauty of that app is you can um, program it whenever you want a reminder and generally what I say is two times in the day if you can in the work hours right not just before sleeping and not just on waking up but in the work hours when that gong goes you know you just stop pause for for a few seconds To see, okay, what's happening to me at at a body level, at a physical level? Is some, you know, are my shoulders getting very tight? Uh, Are there butterflies in my stomach? What is happening in the physical, at a physical level? What is happening to my emotions? Where are my thoughts just now? You know, are they in the future? Are they in the past? Or am I actually present to whatever I'm doing? So, you know, that is, that pause itself is a great exercise to Come back to, you know, what am I supposed to focus on and what is the best thing I need to do at this point of time. So, you know, currently there is a lot of, apart from emotional intelligence, mindfulness is another uh, sort of buzzword. So these, uh, you know, work in tandem and help the person to come back. So very often a person can be sitting in front of the laptop but has got distracted because of some other uh, thing on the phone or, you know, like tensies are looking at three devices. At the same time, so when that gong goes, you know that is a great way to just come back. That okay, you know, let me relook at what was I was, what was I supposed to be doing? Where has where the mind wandered off? And you know, it just helps you to come back. So that is a great uh, way to uh, exercise the muscle. Uh, and these are things that I'm saying where the individual can do, and then I'll come to what the manager can. So the second thing that uh, individuals can do for themselves is. Uh, you know, just create a log of in what situation was I triggered and what was the reaction that I gave. So if they can just a simple Excel sheet, they can maintain over at least a period of 21 days, to 30 days, they will arrive at patterns, and then they will, you know, be able to see what sort of behaviors are they sort of uh, displaying and then if they want to take action about it, especially where the result has not been very fruitful, uh, you know what is something that they would like to do about it. So that is another thing that people can do for themselves. Yeah. What managers can do for them is, uh, you know, one is of course uh, to first of all show them that you know they respect the Gen Z and their choices, and then. Use, you know, influencing uh, techniques where, again, you know, Gen Z has their own uh, uh, way of looking at role models and uh, they, they have their own influencers. So using those examples, you know, how they can give them, uh, you know, not only the inspiration, but also give them feedback and um, influence them through through their role models. The other very very important thing is, uh, you know, I was I was just looking up some statistics where they say that forty percent of Gen Z wants uh, interaction with their supervisors to uh, help them plan the priorities uh, for the day, and uh, you know, coaching and mentoring seems to be highly highly uh, rated. In fact, um, I know of uh, several youngsters where at the you know time of uh, taking on the job itself, they put this in front of people that we would want somebody to mentor us. And many times, I think the, uh, Gen Z is quite frustrated at times when they don't get that because everyone is so busy and no one seems to have time, uh, to mentor them or to coach them. And at the same time, uh, you know, they are constantly expecting output from them. So that is something that uh, you know companies and managers can definitely do. And there are some companies now, like uh, uh, Sudarshan Chemicals, like Atlas Copco, like ACC Cement, they are really investing in creating in-house coaches and mentors. So, uh, so that you know they are available to these uh, you know the younger generation that is entering the work.
0: Excellent. Yeah. No, I think you've shared some really good, simple techniques or strategies uh, and it could be perhaps even relevant as you're undergoing some kind of a tool or an instrument uh, to improve yourself, but even, you know, having come on the other side, right? So mindfulness, something that we all hear, journaling that we all hear. Uh, you talked about some apps, which I think was a very good suggestion. And uh, the... Uh, group. And of course, the corporates are more and more trying to look for or build the bench of resources internally, right? Uh, take that. Oh, okay. Now that I'm in trouble or now I sense some violent behavior or something very funny. Uh, let me go get a, a coach outside from the outside. So this has been very good. Uh, Niloufar. one just a final thought as a, as a way to close out, right? So if you are a young Gen Z listening to this and if you're incoming into the corporate world, right? Ready to conquer and say, Hey, here I am. Uh, um, one or two tips that you'd like to give them when you think about just emotional intelligence uh, as a whole, right? So first, just, you know, what would you want to tell them? That's one, two tips there. And again, we on the, on the corporate side, right? You've, you've discussed and shared many, many techniques and approaches and, and all of that. Again, you've got an incoming. Uh, uh, you know, person and on a manager on this side, right? Uh, we know that, you know, the context of this generation is fundamentally very different, right? What, what can I do as a manager, right? To make it, uh, slightly better or easier for them? Uh, so two parts of the question. First, to understand or maybe some tips for Gen Z's. And then second, of course, we go to the managers who are recruiting them.
1: Yeah. So for Gen Z's, uh, what I would say is, Uh, be aware of your strengths, believe in your strengths. Uh, uh, Because sometimes, you know, the the fragility of, uh, you know, a Gen Z also gets seen where suddenly they get anxious, they get stressed, and, you know, mental well-being can, you know, be at stake. So rather than that, you know, do a good SWOT analysis, be aware of your strengths and, and believe in them and and have the patience so very often it is important for us to go through certain experiences learn from them and and have the patience to uh, you know just see certain things through and when you believe in yourself what is also important is you know slowly and steadily when you overcome certain obstacles you can validate yourself you know uh, very often and looking for validation outside so it is you know you can pat yourselves on the back and say wow good job done so that is something that i would uh, ask uh, the Gen Zs to really focus on rather than actually um, relying on others for validation and which brings us to the point that you know as we go through life we require two very good uh you know two very important qualities that is one is To be optimistic that yes, I will continue doing what uh, I know, and I will keep learning, and I will keep overcoming whatever challenges. And the second is of being resilient, where uh, oh, it's okay to you know, it's okay to fail, it's okay to slip, but you know, let me sort of bounce back with double the uh, vigor and rigor, and uh, you know, I can make it happen. So that is something that uh, I would. Uh, recommend. And the last thing that I want to say is that uh, the the whole thing of think before you speak or think before you leap, you know, again, that uh, just keeping the impulsive uh, sort of aspects in check. So these are things that uh, I would give as a call to action for the Gen Z. Sure.
0: Excellent. No, very good point. And hopefully all our young Zers are, are listening and, and, you know, sort of taking, as you say, you know, be patient, be aware, <laughs> uh, have confidence and, and light will throw curves, curve balls at you, right? How do you kind of uh, build and become resilient as well? Uh, so excellent. Thank you for that. Now, what about just as a way to conclude, if I'm a hiring manager, if I'm a recruiting manager, right? We all create perceptions of certain generations in our mind. Oh, he's like this or she's like that. Uh, and, uh just a word to the wise from to say that, look, I have to rely on these young folks who are going to help me. And because they will become kind of the mainstream cohort who are going to drive the values of the. The vision of the company in, in years to come, right? So, any anything from from the corporate side, right? If I'm the manager, what are one two things that I should be uh, aware of uh, when I look at emotions of the in- incoming Gen Z? I
1: think uh, what's really very important is for managers to first of all understand them as human beings, you know. So it's apart, you know, rather than categorizing them or labeling them. Uh, and I think the Gen Z. Uh, I mean, people have a lot to contribute. They are are smart, they are aware, they are tech savvy. There's, There's so much that they have and they come with, you know, these hopes and dreams of, you know, making that difference. So, I think to honor that, to validate that, to win their trust, to respect them for what they are, and then slowly, so I think just like I'm saying Gen Z, to have Patience. Managers also need to have patience with them to recognize their strengths and then slowly to sort of channelize those to, uh, you know, achieving whatever goals the organization wants uh, to achieve. So that is something. And then I think another thing that I, I would give as a sort of a must, must for every manager is invest time in them. Invest time and it will, you know, give a lot of dividends. So that is two things if we can do, I think uh, it would be a good start.
0: Excellent. So there you have it, friends. Uh, again, it's a topic where we can spend so much more time. But uh, Nilopar, I think this has been one fabulous conversation where you've given us an overview of what AI is, why it's gaining so much traction, both in, uh, in the corporate world certainly, but even in our personal lives. Uh, how do companies can, you know help? young managers or experienced managers to become better at it right what are some of the tools how do we sustain some of these practices and, and just some techniques so really enjoyed uh, this conversation and uh, and and you know hopefully all our viewers and listeners are going to kind of you know pick up some techniques from this so i thank you once again nilofar really enjoyed it and i look forward to meeting you in person very very soon and take care
1: Thanks,
0: Nikolai.
1: I enjoyed
0: it too. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Working with Gen Z. I hope you learned and gained new insights as I did on understanding the Gen Z population a little bit better. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please share this with someone who you think would benefit from the ideas and the insights shared on this episode. Please note, we also have a video version of this episode on the YouTube channel called Working with Gen Z. You can find that version on that YouTube channel. Secondly, I would really appreciate if we could leave a review of this episode on Apple Podcasts so it will help us to reach out to new listeners for the show. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or any other platform you're listening to your podcast on. I would really appreciate if you could leave me a review and tell us what did you like. Tell us what we can improve to help you understand this very important generation. Finally, as always, you can learn the many basics of the Gen Z generation through the book Target Gen Z, your guide to understanding the Gen Z mindset on brands, work-life learning, and more. This book is available both on the Kindle and the Paperback formats on Amazon. Till such time, I look forward to seeing you
1: in the very next episode. See you soon.